I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Hello and welcome to the Don't Know Her podcast. As always, I'm Scott. And I'm Michael. And today we're joined by a very special guest. He is a journalist, he is a film nerd, and he is someone that I'm so grateful is in my life as a big film buff. It's Declan Cashin. Welcome. Well, hey. Welcome, boys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming along. And Declan, it's right to say you're a listener of the podcast. Um, And here is where we talk about actors who have had careers which have not been as plentiful as we think they deserve. Mm-hmm. And Declan, who did you come to us with? I came with one of my uh, queens of mid-90s, early noughties cinema, character actress extraordinaire, Miss Joan Allen. Woohoo, Joan. Woohoo. And, well, for me anyway, I won't speak for you, Scott, I am so grateful I do not know how, but I seem to have missed a lot of Joan's filmography. Oh, me too. It's because you're both children. Um, no, I'm a, I'm a little bit older. I think, but no, it's funny because she's been someone that's been on my radar for a long time because I think, I, you know, like most people, they kind of got to know her um, when she was in Nixon opposite Anthony Hopkins. And that was like 95, 96, and she was nominated for an Oscar for that. And that was like the same period where I started kind of, becoming a bit of a movie nerd and an Oscars nerd. Um, so like I was like, she was really on my radar then. And then I just became this like massive fan. She had like a, a run of movies for the next like five or six years after that, um, where she was just in everything and there was always a lot of buzz around her. So yeah, uh, she hasn't, I suppose she hasn't been in as much recently, hence the podcast, uh, which is probably why uh, the children might know who she is. <laughs> well, I'm taking it because usually I'm the older one that's um, seen films no, in the, the cinema, and Scott's like, mm, I was too young to have seen that when it was initially released. So I'm glad you're here. Oh, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Well, let me let's say a little bit about Joe, like her career, a brief overview before we get into some of her films. Um, because she, so she was born in 1956 in the Midwest. And her career started with the Steppenwolf Theatre Company from 1977, like a huge um, influential theatre company in the US, um, where like most famously John Malkovich became a star from this. And like a true ensemble sort of a company, had lots of successes on Broadway, off Broadway, around the world, um, winning a Tony in 1988 for Burn This for Best Actress. Film did start a, a bit later for her. Um, so her first film was Compromising Promises in 1985, Manhunter 1986, which for those who do not know is a Hannibal Lecter story, um, which then was remade as Red Dragon. As you've said, Declan, like she worked steadily in theatre and film. It seems like film became a way of, you know, ha- having her family and working. And God, she's working with some amazing people. So as you said, Anthony Hopkins in Oliver Stone's Nixon in 95, The Crucible, Arthur Miller, uh, adaptation of Arthur Miller play directed by Nicholas Heitner with Daniel Day-Lewis, Winona Ryder, which she was also Oscar nominated for, Ang Lee's The Ice Storm, Face Off with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, Pleasantville. (laughs) (laughs) The Contender, The Bourne, uh, Jason Bourne films, 
then she's also doing art house films like Sally Potter's Yes. Um, and then later, which maybe the films me and Scott would know her best for, things like The Notebook and Room. How dare you? Um, but Room... <laughs> <laughs> But Room, uh, Room was her last film, which is shocking. Thinking of that, like mm. that's twenty fifteen. Yeah. So, Joan Allen's a three time Oscar nominee for Nixon, The Crucible, and The Contender, mm-hmm. and it seems mad that that's the last movie she's made. She has now done like TV, like Look, The Family, and is it Lysy's story? Yeah. Like Lysy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like. Where are the films? Like, where are the film roles? And why are people not, like, thinking of her in the same way as you say back in the 90s? Like, she could be anything. She feels like the type of actor that could easily move between roles and tones and filmmakers. So it is strange that she hasn't done that. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, obviously, you know, I wake up most mornings thinking about whatever happened to my favorite character actors? What went wrong with their career? And I don't think like her career, I like I've read some, like there aren't even that many interviews with her. She doesn't do an awful lot of press or anything like that. But like, I get the sense from her that she's not like particularly bitter or, you know, unhappy about how her career has panned out. She kind of designed a lot of it, but it's hard not to escape like the reality of what Hollywood is like for actresses of all ages, really. But especially someone like, Joan Allen, who was like 39 or 40 when Nixon happened. And, you know, Hollywood is famously not a very um, conducive place for, you know, actresses of a certain, beyond a certain age. Um, So, I mean, that was probably always going to be a challenge too. Um, But, you know, I always kind of think about her kind of in the same, she kind of emerged in that same wave in the 90s as Julianne Moore, Laura Linney. Um, They are the kind of two ones that, spring to mind the most and sometimes I like there's a couple of different things with Joan Allen that I think um might have perhaps um uh well helped her career at the start but maybe kind of led to it um being not as productive as well I mean when you look at Nixon and The Crucible the two movies that you know were kind of big breakthroughs you know she played they were very similar kind of roles in lots of ways you know playing the kind of stoic put upon wife um and and she's a very kind of uh, in both roles it's a very they're very um restrained kind of repressed performances and against much showier leading men like an anthony hopkins in nixon and daniel day lewis in the crucible um so she was you know she's very much like happy to kind of um not be you know the big center of attention or anything like that and then you know her roles then towards the end of the 90s were all very dramatic as well and you know i she probably didn't get the opportunity or maybe she just wasn't interested in showing um like pursuing more of a kind of a range of roles like comedy or anything like Mm -hmm. that like someone like laura linney who you know roughly around the same time or a couple of years after that like was doing Frasier and then like you know doing dramatic roles and you know just something that kind of showed a, you know that look you know I you, you can cast me you can imagine me as like a comedian um even though like Joan Allen has shown throughout her career um certainly in something like The Upside of Anger that you know she yeah. has those chops for sure it's just I don't know I think it's a combination of maybe emerging as a kind of a, a, an older kind of star um, but also just being kind of typecast, I suppose, in a certain kind of patrician, repressed kind of um, role, which she is brilliant at, but I suppose 
um it could be limiting as well for sure another thing like watching her films for this as compared to say someone like julianne moore is julianne moore is has this personality which almost is brought part of her characters joan allen seems to as you say which is probably part of her theater training yeah. steps back and allows her co-stars or the story or the role to take over in yeah. a way which yeah I can make it makes sense like you say like the upside of anger is really good examples because when I was looking at reviews they were comparing it to something's gonna give the Nancy Myers film that had recently come out with Diane Keating and Diane Keating is like the epitome of a movie star and that sort of film is a movie star sort of role and I, I do think Joan Allen's very good in the upside of anger but because the the quality of the film isn't you know very high yeah. it's very hard then I don't know she has nothing else to rely on I feel like then that's like that's maybe why it didn't yeah wasn't as big a hit as something's got to give or something um but it is a shame because she's so good like and you're right like that like dramatic sort of supporting role even lead like in something like Sally Potter's yes she is amazing and it's 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 so like kind of nourishing if you're if you're in the mood to watch a good actor give a good performance Joan Allen is such is such a joy to watch. Like in all like all the films that we watch for this podcast, I was just like, this is so good. Like mm. to watch her with Anthony Hopkins or with Brie Larson or all these people doing these great things. Yeah. It's just and it's not it's not like she doesn't draw attention like it's not there's not there isn't any kind of calculation behind her acting either. You know, it is a very natural, you know, she's very still. And she's very kind of composed, kind of glacial sometimes. Uh, something like The Ice Storm, which I'll probably end up talking about for about four hours because I think she's just so phenomenal in that movie. Um, but, she, you know, she... Um, so, yeah, it, it's a very kind of natural style as well. There isn't, you know, sometimes with some actors you can see the the wheels turning behind the eyes sometimes, but not with her. I just think she's... Yeah, I just... I love the woman. and She's just such an instinctive kind of performer. Yeah. Do you think it's a good time then to talk about the crucible if we're talking about actors where you can see wheels turning? Oh boy! <laughs> oh, nice segue, sir. Yes, let's let's do it. <laughs> the crucible is um, a Salem witch hunt where Joan Allen and her husband, played by Daniel Day Lewis, become involved because Winona Ryder had an affair with Daniel Day Lewis, and she's. In kind of in short, and I'm simplifying it, isn't getting what she wants. So she's playing, you can read it as this, she, the, we, she is playing the town to punish them. Mm-hmm. And Joan Allen is a like a, kind of the moral centre almost to this film. Yeah. And I, I started it thinking, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis was going to be the broad performance yeah. in this film. But I wasn't really prepared for a what the film was, and also Winona Ryder in this movie. Like, I, yeah. I just don't even know where to start. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's. I mean, sorry, Scott. I know I've been talking a lot here, no, but please uh, carry on. It's uh, the Crucible, man. Like, I mean, I saw it. I think like not long after it first came out, and I I remember not really think I didn't get it. I guess I was probably a bit too young to really understand. I hadn't like read the play or anything like that yeah, at that stage. So I rewatched it again a few months ago, like knowing that we were going to be talking about this. And oh my god, that movie is such a mess! Oh my god, it's like it's it's so frustrating to watch it now because it would work so much better as just a recorded 
um, version of a of the stage, you know, if it was a stage production of it somewhere, just record that and broadcast it in the cinemas. Because the major problem with it, aside from some of the casting, is that like it's just a really it doesn't adapt it enough into a movie. It's such an airless, uh, you know, version of the story. And the thing that threw me off completely was just the scenes of the hysterical, you know, the hysteria amongst the the townspeople and the women accused of being witches and men actually accused of being witches. Like it's just, that would be, I imagine like I've never seen this on stage, but I could imagine it'd be very stunningly powerful in a theater, but my God on camera, it's just terrible. Like this, it's, 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 it's a very bad movie. I think anyway, like (laughs) they might have more redeeming things to say about it than I do. Like even Daniel Day-Lewis seems miscast, which is weird. Um, Winona Ryder is, I mean, I love Winona Ryder. I mean, I, you know, I have a whole separate podcast about why she should have won the Oscar <laughs> for women instead of Jessica Lang. But um, this was clearly like the studio saying, you know, Winona Ryder, let's put her in it. And... Well, I think like, so Nick Heitner, who directed it, is a very celebrated theatre maker. Mm-hmm. It would make sense. It would make sense for him to adapt yeah. this grand yeah. epic play about... Like the, the crucible has is so has so much going on on stage. I've only seen it once, but it works um, naturally because you're like part of the t- town, like you're part of this community mm-hmm. trying to decide yeah. what's going on. Yeah, the like the most cinematic aspects of the film is like the sweeping camera when when Ona yeah. Ryder's like, okay, it's suiting me now yeah. to create a little bit of hysteria. So I'm oh my god, look, there's yeah. no this, there's Scott exactly. over there coming to chat to me about this. That's exactly like, it. And it, oh. It's not like that means it's not an adaptation. It's a staging with fancy camera work. And look, this is a similar problem. Like someone like, again, a whole other podcast ranting and raving about Tom Hooper, who I think is the worst director <laughs> of the last 20 years. Um, what he did with Les Mis, which was a disaster horrible, as well. Like horrible. just that kind of, you know, a swooping camera shot isn't direction. You know what I mean? Yes. Like this isn't adapting as a hit play. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, bring it back to the woman of the hour. You know, uh, Joan Allen, she plays um, the the kind of uh, the cheated wife um, who's being embarrassed, who's been embarrassed, you know, in front of the local town and she's accused of being of witchcraft. Um, and she, she, she kind of, is she has a couple of key scenes throughout the movie, but then really it's towards the end where she and her and John, played by Daniel Lewis, have this kind of final um, scene uh, before he is uh, executed. I can't remember if she is due to be executed too. I think he is the one she that's is. been... Yes. She is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she just delivers this speech. I counted myself so plain, so poorly made that no honest love could come to me. Suspicion kissed you when I did. I never knew how I should say my love. It were a cold house I kept. Oh, my love. love. Forgive me, I never knew such goodness in the world. Oh, John, forgive me. really gutting kind of final scene like you know and people have won oscars for their for smaller or for less than that and i just thought like i've rewatched that scene so many times because i just think she's so powerful in it yeah no she is she's incredibly impressive in, in what you describe as an otherwise not impressive film but um 
I think we'd be remiss because I don't think we've said his name yet. So this is based on an Arthur Miller play, and Arthur Miller also adapted this for the screen and for his efforts was nominated um, wrongly for an Oscar. But, of course, they wanted to throw throw that nomination at him. But it, mm-hmm. it, it must be that because... So I, I was in... The Crucible at school, but only for and this is what it oh, gets no, worse. Te- wait, wait, wait! Tell me what worse. part you took. Tell me you took. Played the Winona Ryder part. I <laughs> wish I played the Winona Ryder part. So this was for um, higher drama at school in in Scotland, um, and it was my like assessment piece, and I played John Proctor. And <gasps> <laughs> what? <laughs> I bet you were better than Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, I mean, I I went much broader um but I, I i don't think the part of john proctor is a natural fit for a gay as i am um oh. i don't it didn't it didn't come tremendously naturally um but but then from remembering these lines because they are seared into my head and and mm-hmm. all of the like oh goody proctor and all of these things um were kind of identical so it's almost like i don't think he really i adapt to this as much as it was just kind of no. taken in parts verbatim where they shouldn't have been um yeah. it, it is really stilted and i think it's a shame because it is an exciting play and it would have so much room to be so much more than it is but mm-hmm. the only standout part of it is joan allen as you say who is is tremendous in these moments and and i guess she probably you know lost a bit of weight to kind of play the end sequences she's yeah. quite skeletal when yeah. she's standing in the courtroom and, and kind of addressing the court um for things that she did not do and the vulnerability is incredible and to go back to what you were saying at the beginning about Joan being this sort of reliable performer who does not need to be giving more mm-hmm. um she she strips it back she plays it simply and even here she does I guess it's just sort of more of the the makeup or or kind of her physical changes to play it that that might be more um out there than what she's what she is doing which is still very contained even in these tremendously emotional moments i think she is incredible and i think justly nominated um for an oscar for this um against performers who are doing a far worse job yeah. Well, it's her and Paul Schofield that really make the film yeah. watchable. Yeah. Paul Schofield plays the guy that comes into the town to, like, basically make these um, hangings and burn to the stake and all this yeah. uh, thing. I forgot so, Schofield. Yeah, I should say Schofield is fantastic in it, too. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. They're the only two actors, I think, nearly the whole thing, which make that language seem natural. Yeah. Like, to watch... Daniel Day-Lewis struggle with some of those te- that text. It's like, oh, this is such a shame because there would be so many actors that could do that. Gofield and so Joan well. Allen are the stage actors, you know, like that's the exactly. thing that will, you know, so that will be the one that, yeah. It's uh, Schofield actually could have been an Oscar nominee, I think, as well, if there had been. Oh, for you know, sure. I'm surprised he oh. wasn't really, because he'd done yeah, Chris he... Show a couple of years before that and had been nominated for, you know, a, a smaller role even than that. Yeah. Um, and he did win the BAFTA for supporting actor, so there were was some love for him. But the yeah. film as a whole, I know you say like he did get a screenplay and um, Joan Allen, but thankfully it, it easily could have been the sort of thing the Academy embraced, but they yeah rightfully kind of pushed it aside. Film so bad, even the Academy Academy wouldn't nominate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Love it. Um, and then I guess like on the flip side, like the film that came before that, and I would say is incredibly cinematic, 
is Nixon. Who, yeah. Where she plays Pat Nixon, the wife of um, Ashley Hopkins's uh, Nixon as yeah. his president. Um, like, what a film. I was dreading. This is the film I was dreading the most to watch. Yeah, he said this yeah. numerous times how much he was dreading. I, I, in fact, I, I watch all the movies usually, and I said to Scott, I'm not watching this. There's no way. Yeah. But then I sat down and I was absorbed. I like yeah. I just was I just loved it. It's three yeah. and a half hours yeah. watching like quite a nasty man mm-hmm. go through his um kind of pred- presidency. And I actually really loved the movie. Like I really yeah. liked it. Great. Yeah, I was the same. I had seen it many years ago, but rewatched it again recently. And I watched it actually um towards the end of last year um because i i was living with two roommates at the time and we were kind of watching all these kind of american presidential films around the time of the the 2020 election and so we sat down for like an entire friday evening watching nixon and uh i again i was kind of like i was because i love jfk the movie jfk um and i always had remembered nixon as being kind of like a a subpar you know version of that or sequel to that but it is it it, it immersive is the word like it's it's hard not to get swept up in how mad and uh intense it is like it's it's quite a different movie to jfk in lots of ways it's not as um i, I don't know it's, it's it's weird to describe an oliver stone movie as tight but like jfk is a much tighter story i think than what they're doing in nixon uh, and joan and joan allen is She's not in it a huge amount, but she has some like key scenes. And again, it's those scenes that she kind of underplays against Anthony Hopkins being all shuffly. And um, and she's just, she brings this kind of real sadness to it. And it's like, she can see, she's really, it's like from the get-go, she could see him for who he really is. And she can almost, you can almost see it in her eyes that she's she can almost predict how this is all going to pan out long before any of the, the crimes happened uh yeah she's she's great in it um and it's interesting because you know it's nixon kind of i think ended up doing better that year at the oscars than people had kind of anticipated like hopkins got nominated it got a screenplay nomination i think maybe editing or something as well so like she was you know she was part of a of a pretty big surge for nixon towards the end but i don't think she was ever like with this and the crucible i don't think she ever really had a chance of winning there was just too much too many other buzzy uh, performers or breakthrough performers, uh, by breakthrough I mean younger, <laughs> that yeah. we're going to yeah, get true. that we're going to get the lion's share. Yeah, it's she is. It is that um, like ghostliness in this. She sort of feels trapped in the house, um, and she's there and in the background. And sometimes she is just there and she says nothing. And I find that incredibly powerful. I mean, you could argue also maybe underused or whatever, but I I like. Mm-hmm the energy she's bringing, but then sometimes she does interject with kind of really um, cutting uh, statements, which I think is great. My, I think my favourite moments of hers, or favourite moment of hers, is when he announces his presidency and she walks into the room and she's like... So you've decided. Were you planning to tell me? I haven't announced anything yet. And and she still does it with the same sort of calm that she brings to her other roles. It's amazing. She's like out of another time in this. Yeah. It's really, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole film is. The whole film is so <laughs> unusual for a 90s film. I don't know, it feels 
I was going to say like a, a, a 60s, 70s film, but I'm not even sure. It just feels kind of alien and, and absurd. Um, mm. But she just slots really, really nicely into this. And it's amazing casting. She's, yeah. She is pitching it right perfectly against, mm-hmm. again, kind of reliably big performers mm-hmm. who, in all fairness to them, are maybe doing less than they have done in, in other things. But she just is pitching this beautifully and and kind of hitting it in the way that just makes her cut through the yeah. noise of a very kind of wild film. And she looks so like Paddington as well. Like if you've looked yeah. at uh, pictures of Paddington, she looks like I want to know. The, I want to shake the hand of whatever casting director found Joan Allen to put mm. that role and yeah. cast. Or I'm sure Stone had a lot to do with it too. But um, he really did the film role a good service by kind of bring her to prominence when it started i was afraid it was going to be nixon at like this low point reflecting Mm. on his life which it kind of is but jones uh uh, pat nixon she's used as kind of a device to structure it a little Mm. bit and her saying like because he's reflecting a lot of like i want to be like jfk in certain ways she's like you want them to love you oh no no i'm not jack they never will dick no matter how many elections you win they never will. And she really, as you say, like pierces through all this, all the all the noise of the movie. And by noise, I mean that as a positive. It's, yeah. Like there's yeah, so that, much happening. That scene, um, that scene you were talking about, Michael, where she's like, you know, you're not going to be Jack Kennedy. You know, they're never going to like you. That was her Oscar clip. That was the clip they showed. Oh, what's it? When she that was makes nine. sense. It's, it's, it's oh. a brilliant moment for her, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I highly recommend Nixon. Yeah. For three and a half hours, it flew yeah. by. It was it's great. A, it's a wild movie, but it actually is really absorbing. <laughs> um, I think and the two people I watched it with were really surprised by how much they were taken in by it too. So, and I actually haven't seen outside JFK or W, is that what you say? But I yeah. will definitely watch both of those now. JFK is magnificent, W, less so. <laughs> <sighs> no, it's... It's, it is wild, and I must, I mean, not that he needs a lot of praise because he is the most praised film composer of all time, but John Williams' score in this is is very bold and ambitious, and I yeah. love this sort of Disney villain-type scoring towards the <laughs> yeah. end, like the strings and winds as if they like are, like the, like the howling gale coming through the house. It's like, what's, yeah. this, is, this is just getting wilder and wilder. Did you, sorry, did Declan, did you say this was your first, like, Joan Allen? Was this your entry yeah. point for Joan? Right? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't realised it that, you know, I think I'd seen, I would have, because I had seen um, uh, Peggy Sue Got Married, like, back in the day on videotape, because uh, I was a massive Kathleen Turner nerd as well. Uh, and she's in that in a kind of a smaller role. So I only, it's what she's, but that's the, like, the definition of these kind of character actors, that you only kind of realise that you've seen them in loads of things after you kind of, get to know them but yeah, Nixon was the first time she had really kind of uh, the name and um just I guess I, I, I there's such a gay boy answer like you know I just thought she was fabulous you know she was this like tall blonde you know she just looked so um just imposing or something and just so in control and just classy I guess is the word I was looking for so uh yeah I, I quickly became pretty obsessed do you know what? My first, like, knowing who Joan Allen was, was the first year I got into the Oscars, which was the year 
Gladiator and Julia Roberts and right. Joan Allen being nominated for The Contender. And I remember watching The Contender because I, I watched them all, even Traffic, even though I didn't understand yeah. what the hell was going. I was like 13 or 14. And honest, I was like, oh, look, Adam Zeta-Jones has this like cocaine gnome. I don't know what that means, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but at I, least she looks great. Yeah. But yeah, the contender went way over my head, so I'm really glad that I rewatched it for this, uh, particularly yeah. after you know the whole Me Too movement. <laughs> we a lot of progressed since the contender has been made. Yeah, um, that that is a I <laughs> that I saw that when it first came out because um, I was 20 at the time, you know. So it was a, uh, I was I was going to the cinema, you know, instead of going to my lectures in university. Um, so. so I I remember loving it at the time because I like the West Wing had just started and I was like big into American politics and I loved that this was um, kind of tackling our theme. Um, plus, I remember at the time it was written and directed by a, a guy named Rod Lurie, who was actually a writer for Empire at the time. And I was a massive reader of yeah, Empire. So yeah. I was like, oh, God, it's like I'm support it's like a friend of mine made a movie. Um, and like, I really like the movie up until a certain point when I just feel like it kind of, um, I don't know, it wraps itself up a bit too neatly, I think, you know, considering what it's about. Um, I mean, maybe we should probably give a bit of description of it so people, because I'm not sure if many people have seen it. <laughs> um, well, it is um, kind of detailing the, it's a, about a presidential or vice presidential run. So we have a vice presidential candidate who, um, dies and then they're looking to sort of fill the spot and uh they kind of approach joan allen's character i can't remember her name what's her name in it senator laney 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 scott i thought maybe or laney something it's laney anyway yes and and it's sort of then this push for it to be a woman and um, first kind of vice presidential candidate it's funny how kind of things have come back around and, and looking back at this now and uh, kind of more importantly from that of course as we have seen as well you have uh, everyone on the kind of her kind of antagonistic side looking to take her down and digging up these things from her past and finding that she had sexual escapades when she was at, at college as if nobody has and then they try and use this to destroy her run and and kind of stop her from getting the vote for vice president have you seen this of my um of my file on your senator mm -hmm. how did you get it have you read it yet how did you get it? Have you read it? What do you have to say for yourself? With all due respect, Madam Senator, it doesn't matter what I have to say for myself. Oh, it doesn't? Well, it seems to me, Mr. Chairman, that all you can claim about me, claim, is that I had sex while Deviant I... Deviant sex. Oh, who deviant? Who says it was deviant? I do. And what I say, the American people will believe. And you know why? Because I'll have a very big microphone in front of me. It's quite a, like it's a good setup um, mm -hmm. in some ways uh, of a film. Uh, Jeff Bridges plays the president, and he wants to. There's a more obvious candidate, and he wants to. What was it like? Does he say like I want to push through the glass ceiling with one of my last acts? He wants. He wants a legacy. I think that's why he wants a legacy. Yeah, and yeah. so he thinks this this will be 
which is like, oh, watching it now, you're like, surely, surely, like, there's more, like, there's something more important you could be. Do- I mean, I'm not saying it's not important to have a f- uh, first female vice, but surely we'd be working for more than that now. Um, yeah. I, yeah. It's an interesting one, I think. I mean, it, I think at the time it was really topical because um, I, I remember the, the 2000 election, uh, the early days of the primary, maybe probably a year or two before this had started, um, sorry, before the 2000 election. Um, I think Elizabeth Dole, who is a, a Republican politician, was she has either was running in the primary or was considering a run for the Republican nomination in 2000. This was towards the end of the Clinton presidency. And so everyone, even back then, everyone was like, well, Hillary's going to run for president. That, you know, she was she was about to run for the Senate in New York. So there was a lot of kind of focus on women in politics, especially women in the White House. So, I mean, yeah. I, it, it, it felt very topical. Um, and I remember it being, like, I mean, it got nominated for these two acting Oscars. So I remember it being quite well received. I just don't yeah. think it's, and she's magnificent. And Jeff Bridges, I think, is great in it too. He's just like so, so good. So good. I mean, the sharks, they, he has a shark. There's a scene where he's eating a shark sandwich <laughs> when he's talking to Christian Slater, who plays a reporter. And it's just so good. Like the power dynamic is just so brilliant. So, and they play really well together. Are you asking me to step down, sir? No, no, it's not going to be that easy for you. And it's not going to be that easy for them. They caught you being a human being. That's all. It's just, I think the, I think the movie would have aged an awful lot better if it didn't, I'm trying to avoid spoilers here. If it didn't kind of like lose the courage of its convictions in kind of the closing kind of few minutes of it, I think it really, really hinders the movie and the success of the movie. It's just so kind of apologetic. It's like, okay, so we're talking about something kind of edgy about a woman in politics. (laughs) So we're going to make sure that people feel comfortable when the film is over yeah i mean those those issues that we've been talking about for i mean i'm not i'm not entirely sure about the the, the process of making the movie but it, it strikes me that there was probably a lot of competing voices trying to influence how the direction this movie was going in because it is a bit all over the place you know mm-hmm. like it feels like three different movies in one sometimes yeah, it's exactly that. It's it's sad because I think the movie sets itself up to be something far more interesting if it had just kept on the track. But then when it, it kind of derails itself with its twist or or just blech, bit at the end, it's it's a real shame. And and especially because it's then not living up to what she's doing as a performer, which is quite like cerebral and really interesting and exciting but then it just becomes it mutes even that it mutes even her performance and everything she's been doing because you you suspect there's something hiding and and it's going to become actually even darker that's what i was thinking this is going to become darker from the poster of her eyes and everything you're like there's there's going to be more to this and then it just falls the other way and 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 that was a big shame for me as well and it's a real shame because like the way it's set up is that you're going to watch this powerful woman be in power but instead we're watching a movie where she's just being kicked down further and further yeah until the film's like let's give her a little bit of a break and it's like oh what the hell but but um uh gary oldman who was an executive producer producer on it has quite openly talked about the film changing um, during the production and him oh. being very unhappy with the end result. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, I guess it's not surprising. It's a bit of a is it so as a, for all of that, it's not the worst film I've ever seen. Oh but God, no, no, no! no. I it's just it really aging and and still very entertaining and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Gary Oldman, he, I found it refreshing watching him here because I've gotten so used to this stodgier Gary Oldman, yeah. and I was delighted to be reminded of this fresher, more exciting one, yeah. and. To my ear, doing a pitch perfect accent. I I didn't yeah. realize it was him straight away. Actually, yeah, it yeah, took I mean, me a few a couple of scenes, and I was like, oh, of course. That was an era when, like, you know, a lot of movie people were really excited about Gary Oldman because yeah. he did those disappeared into those kind of roles, and he can't really do that anymore. No. Um, but yeah, with the contender, it, it's like I mean, this was Joan Allen's best actress nomination. Um, but and you know, given you know some of the ambivalence about the movie and how it was received, you know, it was clearly like some sort of you know this woman is on a momentum. You know, she's had a really strong yeah. couple of years. Uh, but I mean, she was never going to win. This was Julia Roberts' year for Aaron Brockovich. I mean, there's probably the most sure. And do not do not forget Juliette Binoche and Chocolat was a close second. I'm pretty certain. Juliette Binoche was lucky to be there. Okay, there. But uh, one last thing on The Contender is that it was actually a pivotal movie for Joan Allen, I think, in more ways than one, because I think it did kind of, um, it, you know, when you look at, like, when she ended up doing the Bourne movies and everything after this, she kind of, it kind of established her as this, like, go-to uh, authority figure, almost. Like, she can play presidents, you know, the, the head of the CIA or whatever. Like, she casts that kind of authoritative um, kind of feeling. And I think, you know, that was probably a big, um, again, probably sent her down a certain casting route for a couple of years after it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. To sort of bring it back to, so Michael, you're talking about this being your your entry point in Nixon before that being yours, Declan. Mine, strangely, although you suggested it might have been Michael as the notebook or, or other along that era of time, but no, it was, to my memory anyway, the incredible the ice storm ang lee's 1997 masterpiece i i'm a huge fan and it was one of those things so i watched it when i was i guess fairly young and i had i think that book that many people have the kind of massively thick coffee table 1001 movies to see before you die oh yeah it was one of the ones that consistently does appear in that book and i i remember being like oh what's this so I don't know if I was familiar with her at the time, but it certainly became very familiar after that. It is quite something. She's oh, amazing. I mean, that film is... I could, I honestly do not know how I've never seen it. So what I've watched it twice since I watched it for this podcast. So it started a while ago, but like hypnotized again by it. I love yeah. Ang Lee. Like Ang Lee is so good and he's... I just, I'm just like, and I just rewatched like Sense Sensibility there. Like this guy totally understands dynamics and social norms yeah. and characters that struggle to express themselves. And the Ice Storm is just this wonderful story set in the 70s over like one weekend about two families. And Joan Allen is the wife uh, to Kelvin Klein's, um, who's having an affair with the neighbor Sigourney Weaver, whose sons are interacting, let's say, with Joan Allen's daughter, played by Christina Ricci. Oh. Um, it's just there's just so much and there's a storm and there's this party and there's like a key party and there's there's all just so much going yeah. on and it is so beautiful it's just such a beautiful film in all ways yeah. and Joan Allen at the start I was Sigourney Weaver is playing quite um yeah and he, I mean 
she's basically playing the type of character you I'm surprised is not more like more of a meme or something. So she's having an affair. Kevin Klein is talking and she's like, if I wanted to be bored, I'd sleep with my husband. Like that sort of thing. (laughs) And Joan Allen is, she's quiet, Joan Allen. She's like, she's more reserved. And it's kind of towards the end is where she has her moment. Mm -hmm. And God, when she has it. It really builds. Yeah, it really builds like she it's it's it really is like a kind of an ensemble movie like it's it's such a fascinating ninth, late 90s kind of uh time capsule because it the thing about the ice storm I could talk about this movie for days. I mean, Ang Lee was kind of coming off that sense and sensibility success even like even though, you know, he hadn't been nominated for an Oscar for sense and sensibility the movie had been a big hit and had won other awards. The Ice Storm was seen as kind of his big, you know, American tackle, a big American dream, a big American theme movie. You know, this amazing cast. I mean, like you've mentioned Klein, Weaver, Joan Allen as the kind of adult characters. But then you had Christina Ricci, Elijah Wood, um, Adam Hanbird. Who's the other kid? Toby McGuire. Toby McGuire. Uh, Katie Holmes. Good oh, Lord. I forgot she was in it when she popped up. <laughs> um, and, you know, this amazing young cast. And, it, and you know, it came out... I don't, I, I, I don't really know. I guess it's a hard movie to sell. Um, you know, remember it was 97. It's only like 20 years on, I guess, maybe from the period it's documenting. Maybe it felt too soon. Maybe there was a bit of 70s fatigue at that point. People just weren't interested. And look, it is, it's not the most, like it is by definition, you know, as the name suggests, it's quite a chilly kind of movie. You know, you're not going to be like, this isn't a feel-good fair. Um, and it's interesting because it, I think the Ice Storm's legacy uh, today is kind of talked very much in conjunction with like, Oh, it did what American Beauty did two years before American Beauty, but that was the one that was the big success. But with the Ice Storm, like it's it's an ensemble piece. Sigourney Weaver, I think, was the one that kind of got the most attention. I think her and actually Christina Ricci, if memory serves, mm-hmm. they were the ones that were the big focal points for that movie and they're both phenomenal i think christina ricci watching so rewatching this again was just a reminder of i mean i'm talking about her as if she's in the past tense but you just don't see her doing it as much she was such an electrifying performer oh yeah a teenager oh my god that girl is so good and she's so like i probably of all the characters or actors in this movie she seems to be the one that fully she understood the assignment like she fully understands what this movie is trying to do and what it is She's, I could rave about her for days, but, and Weaver, you know, plays the kind of sex kitten kind of uh, bad mother, bad wife, and she's brilliant at it. But like Joan Allen, like she, she's again, just seems like the put upon wife, the ignored wife, the repressed, frustrated wife. But then the movie kind of becomes about her in the last like 20 minutes or 30 minutes, because I was thinking about it at the time, like, you know, that you know, if this movie had kind of taken off and was getting some awards attention and like it deserved, would she have been the lead or the supporting player in mm-hmm. it? Um, yeah. And I, in retrospect, I kind of wish they had pushed her as supporting because I think if, you know, if this movie had had momentum, her and like it could have been the case that her and Weaver would have been up against each other. I don't know. But like mm-hmm. for me, that, that year's supporting actress race is pretty weak. You know, Kim Basinger mm-hmm. wins for LA Confidential, which is fine, I guess. But like it's it's not spectacular. Uh, mm-hmm. But, like, this is Joan Allen's, like, this is really her, I think, her, like, masterful 
performance this is the one if you were to recommend one movie of hers to watch this is the one to to see yeah. and she's utilized so well in it like just all the things we've talked about how she's good because she's always present she's like supporting all these people but then the film is as you say like it is kind of her her she brings us to the ending like i don't yeah. I'm, again i'm not going to spoil things but the way that her story unfolds it's just really interesting and i guess the difference with say something like say american beauty it's like it's not wrapped up very neatly in that it's not mm. satisfying no. you know american beauty is is a comedy firstly so i think that yeah. makes it easier for people to watch but yeah. it's art like we know that lester is going to be dead by the end of the yeah. film i mean and even then people didn't mind seeing kevin spacey being killed. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, I think like the big thing with American Beauty was that if you get the sense that it's making fun of the characters, whereas that's not yeah. what's happening here at all. Like it's actually the film feels very sad for all of these characters. I think, which is probably why the watching it feels so kind of heavy and oppressive because it's just yeah. a really sad. Everyone is so catatonic in this movie. Yeah. Like it's they're all. And it's commented on quite a lot that everyone seems. Are they okay? They seem a bit off. Everyone is in a daze almost in this yeah. movie, which is why it's so. It's one of the things that makes it such a fascinating film to watch. And they're so bored with their life in some yeah. ways, and that they like fumble into problems. So like yeah. Kevin Klein <laughs> sees his daughter in Sigourney Weaver's house, and she's about to have sex or do something with Elijah Wood, and he tells his wife Joan Allen about it. And they're on the floor, and. Uh... He's got his trousers undone, though, thank goodness, she was still dressed. Well, I really let him have it. And Wendy came home peacefully. So uh, what were you doing in the Carver's basement, anyway? And he, so he hasn't even clocked that, like, I'm t basically telling her I was yeah. sleeping with a Gorney Weaver. Yeah. And then he's like, he just creates all these problems. It's just like, oh, and but he doesn't care enough to do anything about yeah. that. They're all just kind of this apathetic, kind of self-absorbed. And I mean, I remember at the time it was um, kind of being described as like, you know, this movie about America in the 70s, about how America had become, kind of become probably a bit too self-satisfied and was sleepwalking through like Vietnam and Nixon and kind of, it, you know, it come out of the 60s and America was in a very dark place. And I think the movie, if you were to look at The Ice Storm just as a movie about a period in the 70s, it captures that brilliantly yeah. um mm. but yeah it's just it's it's when it's because everyone is so out of it <laughs> in this movie when things when people or in the characters or when the story kind of um kind of shocks them to life it's so stunning to watch it like there are a couple of bits where like certain characters things happen to them or, or they kind of react to things and it's oh i just think it's so and I, again joan allen as the movie kind of builds she has this kind of big i don't know breakthrough i guess and it's just it's 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 uncomfortable to watch in places. She carries it so well. I just I yeah, she's phenomenal, and I think it's just the best thing she's she's ever done. Yeah, I agree, and I also I I kind of like the American Beauty comparison point because I mean American Beauty was was one of those films for me when I was really getting into cinema that I thought was like the greatest thing ever. This is like yeah. as perfect as it can get. And as you know, the years have gone by, and and a lot has changed, and um, the lead performers in that film getting themselves into very problematic situations, it, its legacy is is weakened. But even without that, watching it back, it isn't what I thought it was when I was younger. Whereas this one only grows and gets yeah. more interesting. Yeah. And and I guess something that does make them both similar is kind of their approach to kind of metaphors. But this mm. one seems to be more gentle about it, whereas yeah. 
American Beauty is literally s- like smacking you in the face with them um, in a very kind of stylistic way, whereas this is less interested in that. But there is that mm-hmm. kind of nice moment with the Invisible Woman comic books that he's reading yeah. in the train, and then it cuts to Joan Allen, and you're like, yeah. okay, so this is how she's viewed, this is how people see her. But then her arc kind of changes that idea and plays with it, and and then she's absolutely not the Invisible Woman. I, I, I yeah. think it's just, it's amazing. It's an amazing film full of amazing yeah. performers. But I actually do also think it's it's pretty funny. I mean, it's not in yeah. the same way yeah. that American Beauty is. But there is that great moment where um, Christina Ricci's asking for money for her band costume. They need the money at school for my band uniform. I thought you quit the band. I never hear you practice anymore. Yeah, well... I don't really need to practice. I just play a few notes anyway, so I figured I'd just stay in. Well, um, I'm sure your father and I would love to hear what you're playing these days. Maybe after dinner? It's really, really funny just playing those two notes oh, back and forth. Yeah. And I was also a brass band player when I was at school. <laughs> and it oh is just God. like, this is brilliant. Yeah. Richie Weaver and Alan, uh, and John Allen, the three of them in this movie are just like the best, like amongst the three best performances of the 90s by mm. women, if you ask me. They're just. I also don't think you get many films focused on women, even today, really, yeah. which allow them to have their, like, sexual experiences like if let's get again we're going back to american beauty a lot but annette benning's sexual like reawakening right. is a joke like it's a total joke that she like she's sleeping with her competitor like who in the housing estate market yeah but the sexuality of christina ritchie weaver and alan is yeah. treated really respectfully and yeah. also really interestingly like if you were to compare ritchie with thor birch in american beauty oh. like there's there, there is no comparison to what is being dealt with there oh sure. so I mean, I know- I, I was I rewatched it. I mean, I rewatched the Ice Storm actually just yesterday before recording this, and I hadn't watched it in a while. And I was actually really nervous about watching it if it would hold mm. up. But as Scott was saying, it actually is even better than I remember. Um, mm-hmm. I did feel I have problems with Tobey Maguire as an actor, so I, yes, I'm not same. crazy about his <laughs> framing in the movie. But um, you know, I was obviously was watching this for the Joan Allen element of it, and I think she is. But honestly, the thing I I just can't shake Christina Ricci from this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I just think. I, that's such a fearless performance for a young actress and like a really tricky oh sure role. like you know the, she does things in this movie that are not okay yeah. and like yeah you know it's it's a fat oh it's such a fascinating movie i mean this you'll have to come guy, back you know is he's he's good <laughs> you'll have to come back for our christina ritchie episode because oh she gosh. i mean there's there's so much Oh my god! Firstly, Casper, Casper, Casper is part of my like film. Casper, now and then, well, well, she did Ice Storm and The Opposite of Sex, kind of one year apart, and they are brilliant companion pieces. Yeah. I oh, I love. Anyway, that's the Christine um, Ricci one. Another yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if we're talking about like repressed uh, wives and mothers in the past, uh, <laughs> well, I guess Pleasantville is a great way, but also Pleasantville, she's playing a soap opera mother and right. um wife and also has toby Maguire in it in an even more kind of unappealing <laughs> <laughs> sort of performance i really don't like him as an actor it's it's really good it's been it's really come up for me recently in lots of things um yeah i mean 
again, Pleasantville seems like it's a really kind of typical kind of Joan Allen role in some ways. You know, this kind of prim and proper, repressed, glacial a housewife or wife um, who's literally starts having some colour brought back into her life and she kind of discovers her passion. Literally, literally is literally. bringing colour back and into her life. Yeah. It's a beautifully rendered movie. Again, yeah. a movie I feel that probably doesn't really have the courage of its convictions ultimately yeah. in the end, but she's great in it. It's just, it doesn't feel like her movie as much as other movies that she's been in, even though her kind of sexual and emotional awakening, I guess, is really key to it. And she... She can play that in her sleep. I think. I just. I think it yeah. came so soon after the ice storm that the for me the ice storm is always going to be the one that shades it. Shades it. You're using. Oh, all right nice work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I was like Pleasantville is such a fascinating movie. I was kind of um, like in awe of it at times. Like when yeah. she comes out and he's like, "Oh my god!" Like what's happening yeah. to me? And then Toby Maguire in a, in one of his better scenes applies this oh, black and white makeup on gorgeous her. Gorgeous scene, yeah. What? Does it look okay? Yeah, it looks just like it did. And, uh, and they won't be able to tell. No, no, they won't be able to tell. And then she falls in love with this like frustrated painter played yeah. by Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Oh, I, I just, I, yeah. So I was really moved by it, but you're right. Yeah. She could do that in her sleep. Um, yeah. And the film isn't a few bit, tweaks to the concept, let's say, or the, yeah. the how the concepts developed would yes. have made that film one of the best oh, films ever made. But sure. something about it is a bit off, um, yeah. or a few things about it are a bit off. It's yeah. just more pedestrian than it should have been perhaps yeah. but she is amazing in it but like you're saying about her being able to do it in her sleep what i found kind of struck me about her in it this time is i was like you are and i hadn't seen this in her not recognized before because i think of her as a very contemporary performer mm -hmm. but she reminded me i know it's sort of how she playing it and what, what how it's written and everything and how she's dressed but she was like a classic Hollywood yeah. star and she had that look and she had it down and just the uh, the energy and and the presence just felt like she could have come out of another time and and would be oh, recognized yeah. as that kind of star and mm. and that really struck me I was like this is not how I've ever thought about you even when you've played similarly I do think about like the ice storm I think of as a very contemporary performance mm. whereas this I was like oh you can really nail that more classic uh, golden age of Hollywood type um, mm. stuff too. When you say golden age of Hollywood, though, you are talking about when Nicolas Cage met John Travolta, <laughs> of, right? Of course, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh man, what a movie! Um, Face Off, which I guess we might have all seen like years ago when it first came out, and I, well, you know, it's one of those movies, Con Air. Like, there's all these big '90s films, but rewatching it, it is. It is madder than I it's remember. Mad. <laughs> Guys, I only watched it for the first time yesterday in advance of this. Whoa. I because I have problems with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta as performers, but I actually didn't even know Joan Allen was in this. Uh, it was only when I was doing my research, so I said I'd watch it. And I have to say, I think it is a flat-out masterpiece of a movie. Yes. It is just bonkers. I've rarely seen a movie lean into its madness as much as this movie does. But again... She plays John Travolta's wife in it. I mean, I'm sure everyone is kind of familiar with Face Off. You know, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta basically swap. Uh, Travolta's the cop. 
Cage is the villain. They swap faces and lives to try and outwit it's each other. It's such a like over like we created this this like scientific thing. Why did yeah. we do this? And you're like, I'm so sorry, but I know the film. There's no time to describe it. It's like do it, do it, do it. It is dumb. Dumb, 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 and it is brilliant. It's so well done. So but Joan brilliant. Allen plays John Travolta's wife, and actually, you know, I was thinking about it afterwards because she's actually really critical to that movie's silliness working. Yeah. Because nobody is buying, you know, because you have Travolta playing Cage playing Travolta, and Travolta playing no Cage playing Travolta playing Cage or whatever. Yeah, and you have to, you have to, you know, the audience has to buy that Nicolas Cage is. Oh, sorry, that John Travolta is... Oh, God, I'm so confused now myself. Uh, <laughs> no, know, no, John Travolta is Nicolas Cage when he comes yeah, into her room. When he comes, yeah. into the, when she, when yeah. he comes home. And, you know, if she doesn't buy it, we don't buy it. And she yeah. falls for it at first. She's kind of the audience in some respects with this as well, even though we have more information. But, like, her accepting this or... You could, because it's yeah. Joan Allen and she had been established at this point as being this kind of, like... I don't know, authority or like trusted, you know, classy yeah. actress are playing these. And she's a doctor, isn't she as well in the film? Doctor so it's like yeah, so he's actually kind of like it's it's quite inspired casting. I'd love to talk to her and find out like how that script got to her because oh, like Yeah. It's all pretty inspired. Yeah. She also has quite an important part because she's the one that has to like scientifically prove who is right. who. So she like sleeps beside the murderer of her child to, to so that she can prick some blood from him to then test the DNA and you know it's all wild and silly but she, she's making it like great yeah like she's given something to do I was really nervous because yeah. I couldn't remember at all like yourself from um, like being in this movie but I just thought oh shit she's going to either die really quickly or something yeah. she's going to be you know and she is She's a damsel in distress for a bit of it, but she does have more agency than you would think for Absolutely. a wife type character in a 90s yeah. film. I, at one point, she uh, toward, in one of the battles towards the end, she breaks a chair off one of the bad guys' back. And I was like, where was the Joan Allen action movie? Where was Joan Allen's The River Wild back in the day? Like, this is yeah. what I want. I would have loved to have seen her get those kind of opportunities to play those kind of, like, to show that range and challenge yes. herself and stretch herself like that because... It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it was so much fun to see her in that kind of environment. But, like, again, she had done, you know, she, you know, Face Off and the Bourne movies are probably the movies that most people have seen her in. But, like, yeah. she, just, she just fits into every kind of, you could put her in any genre, I think, and she'd somehow make it work. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly that. But uh, just, just holding on it for one second, do you, do you agree that this is like John Travolta at his most, like, exciting or interesting because this like between him and nick cage it's they're both doing a lot but i was like what in the fuck when i first watched this like what whoa like john travolta being yeah. nick cage is a wild thing to see yeah and it's it, and it's funny because as i said i hadn't seen this before and when i was watching and it's a long movie like this movie goes mm -hmm. on but like and at the start it has like it makes these really mad like broad character uh, establishing kind of shots of you know John or Nicholas Cage being the kind of mad manic one and John Travolta this kind of like dour you know angry and it's really like full on and then you're like you're kind of all right they have to establish that like the characters are like this so that when they're acting as the other one you can kind of tell that and as the movie goes on I was kind of like both of them are doing 
incredible work yeah, in this movie. Yeah, like genuinely, like I, it's one of the most surprise. Like I sound like such a snob now. I haven't watched it, but like it's it's genuinely one of the most surprising movies I've ever watched. I think in that like it just defied my expectations completely. Not just for like the two actors, but like John Woo, like the action direction in this. You know the support. Oh, like, you know, Gina Gershon was in it. Joan Allen is in it. Like it's just so well done. Like this is one of the best action movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah. Um. So talking about like Joan Allen could do anything. We're gonna let's talk about what she could do in the future or what we'd love her to do. But before that, let us do a quiz. And now that we have a guest, I'm gonna pit you two against each other. <laughs> And we're going to see who knows the world of Joan Allen better. I'm dreading Ooh. it. I don't stand a fucking chance, but <laughs> let's have a go. Okay. So, guys, what we're going to do here, I'm going to ask one of you a question first. If you get it right, you get that point. If not, it goes on to the next person, and we'll continue that way. And there is a tiebreaker, which I really hope we get to, because <laughs> I like this question. Um, and it is about Joan Allen. So, as you're our guest, Declan, you're going to go first. Yes. What does Joan Allen have in common with Angela Lansbury, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Deborah Winger? Oh, um... amongst others, I should say, to maybe give you a bit of help. But those are the three that came to mind. Oh my God, I am. And I should say, you can all get one hint each for each. Question. I'm going to need a hint for this. I think. It's to do with the Oscars, of course. Is it that they were nominated for Oscars two years in a row? Okay, so so that I, so my answer was not your answer, and I'm going to give you an, a special extra point for that. <laughs> um, that's that's so great. So what was your so answer? My, so mine was that they had three Oscar nominations without a win. Oh. Um, but yours is way more better. Like that's, that's such good trivia. That is very impressive. What can I say, guys? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, Scott, what's the square root of? <laughs> um, okay, well, what does Joan Allen have in common with Juliette Binoche, Ellen Burstein, and Laura Linney? Juliette Binoche, Ellen Burstein, and Laura Linney, that they were all nominated for an Oscar in the year 2000. Oh, I couldn't tell you the year, but yeah, they all lost to Julia Roberts. Correct. Bravo. Yay. Thanks, thanks. Okay. Okay. This is, I hope, is a bit trickier, Declan. Um, can you name a woman who has played both a first lady and a vice president in their filmography? Alongside, because Joan Allen obviously has played the vice president er, in The Contender and the first lady in Nixon. So another actress. Another actress, yeah. Who played president and vice president. No, played first lady and played oh. vice president. Vice president and first lady. Oh, okay. Can I get a hint? I will say that she oh. is playing. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Mary MacDonald. Oh, for fuck's sake. This is another one where I've actually had a different person. Oh, well, she was president in Battlestar Galactica, so it's not exactly president of the United States or anything that she played. Oh, well, I was saying vice president. That was very important. And actually, oh. okay, so she's vice, this person is vice president, but 
takes over presidential powers in this action 90s film. <gasps> I know exactly. It's Glenn Close. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> She's vice president in Air Force One, another classic. Same year as Face Off. And she was first lady in Mars Attacks. Yeah. yeah. And Gosh. well, who I now I don't want to give bonus points, but she has like one of my all time favorite death scenes in Mars Attacks where the aliens are like attacking the White House and she's obsessed with like the aesthetics of it. Yeah. And they, they, she thinks she's going to be shot. She's not. But they shoot the chandelier, which she's obsessed with. And she stares at it and says whatever the chandelier is as it comes uh, crashing down and kills yeah. her. Such she has scene. very dramatic face uh, reactions in it too. Uh, I was going to answer initially that it was Mary MacDonald because she played the first lady in Independence Day. Mm-hmm. True. Also, she was president in Battlestar Galactica, but not necessarily the American president. But, you know, mm. maybe that might get me some bonus. No, no more bonus points. Just oh. one point. <laughs> um, Scott. Yes. What does Joan Allen and Emily Watson have in common? Joan Allen and Emily Watson. The great both... British actor. Who, sad, like, she's another underrated mm-hmm. great oh, actor. Hugely. Um, Joan Allen and Emily Watson. Uh, they must have played the mm. same... You're going down the right road. That would be my hint. Okay. Played the same part. Fudge, what could it be? Jonah Allen, Emily Watson. What if they both played? But what I will say, this is this is part of like a universe, cinematic universe, which is unlikely to, to be a cinematic universe. It's an Oscar winning, there's an Oscar winning film in it. Um, there's a TV show... Oh, I am like no, I've got nothing. Yeah, I'm drawing a total blank as well. Oh no, a cinematic so, universe, but if something where there's multiple entries. Emily Watson. So one of them's done like um, like in a film and one in television, or no, no, they're both on film, but it's a remake. So one, so one was in 1986. That's the Joan Allen bit, um, a performance, and the remake was Emily Watson was 2002. Oh shit. Um, Manhunter Hannibal, no? Is it that? They yeah. both played the same part, yeah. They both played uh, Rebel okay. McLean. Yes! Okay. The right. blinds. Um, the blind, yeah. The, yes. The, really, and quite like the most memorable part of Red Dragon, really, for mm, me. For is... sure, yeah. Great, okay. Last, so you're winning, Declan, with three points to Scott's two. Um, this is another tricky question, I hope. Um, what do Blythe Danner, Frances McDormand, and Glenda Jackson have in common in relation to Joan Allen? Blythe Danner, Glenda Jackson, and who? Frances McDormand? Yeah, you're dead right. Who? Who the hell is Frances McDormand? Very <laughs> <laughs> dear. Hmm. Is it? Hmm. Okay. Uh no, yeah, no, Scott can have a go. I'm completely... Do you want to go, Scott? Oh, I don't think I'm getting anything either. All I can think of, so Frances McDormand also so won an Oscar in 96, but then that's not going to work for Glenda Jackson or Blythe Danner, obviously. Um, I'm guessing Ooh. they've... Do you not think Blythe Danner could be an Oscar 
nominee. What? Winner. She's not an Oscar <laughs> winner. So oh, you're right. My and and Glenda Jackson won't have been nominated for any Oscars around the time. Um. So I don't know. I guess they must all play a certain relation. No, because Frances McDormand and Joan Allen. I don't think they've ever been in a film together. Did they play the same role on stage to, and win a Tony for it or something? Close. Oh. Okay. Are you, okay. Do you both give up? I give up. Anyway. So nominated at the same time for like same year Tonys for the same. Yeah. Okay. <gasps> they all lost to Joan Allen um, oh. for Burn This. Like what? Imagine oh, at I that see. time in your career to lo- like beating Glenda Jackson must be a. My a God. That is wild. <laughs> Wow. I actually, shame on me, thought you were going to say she lost to all of them, but um... <gasps> no, 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 no. At the to- the Tonys award people like Joan, Glenn has a few. I feel like people that do not get Oscars get Tonys. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Scott basically got that answer. So this way we should okay. use your tiebreaker. Well, that was the Nikos. Yeah, this is what I was aiming for. So I'm really glad this happened. Okay, guys. <laughs> so now you both have to come up with a number. Okay. Okay. Um, how many Jones have been nominated for Best Actress? Wow. Uh, like, for in total. In t- over the is it ninety seven years? Right. Is that or however many years it's been of the? Yikes. Okay. Academy Awards. How many do you think? And of course, whoever gets the nearest will get, um, the point. For Best Actress. Best, only best actress. Only so best sadly, actress. so no Joan Cusack. No Joan Cusack. Okay. Uh, whew, right. Because like Meryl takes up twenty nominations out of however many. So that <laughs> yeah, well, sure that does that does drop the number down. Uh, I'm going to just stab and say seven. Okay, but that's with Declan... only having three names in my head at this point in time. God, I only okay. have two names. I only have two names in my head. I'm drawing a complete blank. Uh... <sighs> okay, I'm gonna say I'm only gonna say two. I can only think of two. Okay, so Declan is the winner because there's four. Do you know what? No, there's three. Like I, I'm shocked, but there was only three Jones ever nominated for Best Actress. No, now so I'm Scott, assuming. No he, he, no, he said seven, but he could think of three. All right, okay. And weirdly, they've all been nominated three times. So firstly, obviously, Joan Allen. Then if we're going alphabetically, who can who knows who's next? Joan Crawford. Crawford, yeah, exactly. Oh, Crawford, I had Joan Fontaine. That was yes, that's, well, the, other there one. Was the, that's the other one I had. So oh, they're I the can... three. No, hold on. Isn't that another... wild? Um... So there, there's quite a few more for supporting actress, but not. Um, yeah. Wow. Like John Blondell. John Plowright. John Cusack. John Plowright. John Cusack. Um, yeah. Joanne Wood- Woodward was not included. No, uh, Joanne. No, that's fair. She's a Joanne. Um, so yeah, well, congratulations, Declan. You are I mean, your pri- your prize is to come back to talk about oh, another person sometime. What a, what a prize that is! <laughs> I feel like I, I only barely crawled over the finishing line with that one, though. So um, no, yeah. it's a fair win. No, it's great. Um, so yes, get thinking on who you'll do next. Um, and before that, I'm so intrigued to hear what we all want for 
Joan. Declan, you go first. You're the you're the diehard fan boy here. Or fan oh, girl here. I mean, it's it's weird because you know the age of streaming and everything like that. You think there are so many more opportunities, uh, and there are for actors and well, actresses especially. But you know, Joan Allen hasn't done a huge amount in the last few years. I mean, she did uh, Room, uh, and she was amazing so in that. That could have been like that would have been such a great supporting actress mm. comeback role for her, yeah. um, and it's a weird one because that movie really peaked at the right time. You know, it got I think it was quite a surprise nominee for picture and director that year. Like Brie Larson was always shocking, gonna, yeah, yeah. But like I think you know it was it was Brie Larson was the focus of all the acting in it because even like Jacob Tremblay, who I think is probably so good, the top yeah. two best child performances ever. Uh, you know, they could have all been carried along in that. I think that movie probably needed another couple of weeks or months just for people to see it and really get the impact of it. So, but what's interesting about Joan Allen in Room is that the only TV kind of I've seen her do, aside from, I mean, you mentioned that Stephen King one, she did a TV show a year after Room called The Family, which I've only started watching this week in preparation for this. And it's weird because she plays a politician who is also the mother of a child who's abducted and the child is returned. And it's like, it's a fascinating kind of like composition almost of all the roles that she's played over the years. Um, the show was cancelled after one season, but it's actually, I'm finding myself quite hooked on it. Um, it's a bit of a mess, but um, it's actually quite compelling. I'm kind of, involved, there's a whole mystery element to it that I'm, so like, I, I guess TV is probably where she has the best opportunities, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, and, or, you know, you know, the roles that are like the mother or, you know, the, the, the grandmother or something. And like, not that those roles can't be good and rewarding, but sometimes they're not the main focus of a movie. Like yeah. I'd love for her to get something like Grace and Frankie or something like that. Something where she could really oh my just <laughs> cut loose and just go totally like inventing vibrators or whatever. Um, but like maybe, you know, a great, like, late career you know supporting actress oscar or something would be great like a really great supporting role and that kind of really just brought in steady work for the rest of her you know career it would mm -hmm. be i just want the best for her <laughs> yeah fair and what about you you scott um so i i guess sort of going back to i'll start with um her kind of appearances in these maybe chillier domestic dramas like uh, the ice storm and, and where I feel she just slots in so well there. And when I was watching that film, I was kind of seeing parallels or certainly tonal parallels between that and Sean Durkin's The Nest, which just came out this year. And and I think even if you look at like Martha Marcy May Marlene, there's just something that the trickiness in the tone, I think she could just nail. So whatever Sean Durkin's doing next or, or a couple down the line, I think there could be a welcome slot for Joan. That's such a good call. She does that ambiguity so well. That mm. would be that's a really good idea. I in a similar tone, and I and now I feel like we're to, we're pitching holing her in a way that we were saying maybe we don't right. want to do. But I was thinking Todd Haynes. So Todd Haynes does these like stylistic films, but usually a, a lot, like as you're saying, tonally is very similar to those in you know, very cold, but usually there's a, a great part for a, a, a woman in, in his work. 
in whatever like supporting or the lead but I was thinking like the lead and like maybe she was like trying to succeed in a male-dominated world back in like the 70s or something I've also been watching a lot of succession so it's like what would a Todd Haynes succession type story wow. starring John oh, Allen no. <laughs> that is wild so maybe we'll get Jesse Armstrong who's the creator oh my um, God, early and working with Todd Haynes on on that because I'd love to see her as like a not matriarchal because I don't want her to be like you know the Shakespeare no, like yeah, throwing I, toys out but some sort of like powerhouse character yeah yeah, yeah that's a really actually you're after reminding me I think Rod Lurie the guy I'm talking about who wrote and directed The Contender he actually wrote it specifically for Joan Allen because you know okay. he was a film journalist and he was so you know just captivated by her that he wrote a part just for her so like we need somebody to kind of like just write just write that mm -hmm. role for her and like just just get her back like working like really steadily in movies again yeah yeah oh no kids because she's still relatively young like if you think of all her contemporaries they seem to be like it seems to be a great time for women yeah it's you know we've gone beyond the age of like whatever happened to baby jane where joan crawford and betty davis are in their 50s right. playing these like hags that yeah. are past <laughs> it but, you know yeah. We have Nicole Kidman and people like that with production companies making these stories. Yeah. Um, Reese, Reese let's let's get like let's get a Joan Allen project on the go. Reese, you're the most oh my powerful God. woman in Hollywood at the moment. So that's so true. So they yeah. uh, they start together in Pleasantville when Reese was you know, up and coming. Yeah. You know, and it kind of loops back to what we were saying at the start. You know, uh, what I was saying at the start about Joan Allen being a little bit older when she got start uh, when she kind of yeah. had her breakthrough. Just reminds me of the immortal line from Goldie Hawn in the First Wives Club. First Wives Club that there's three ages for women in Hollywood: babe, district attorney, and driving Miss Daisy. So <laughs> <laughs> this is what the women in Hollywood are up against. Remake driving Miss Daisy, but make it like in a more Stop. kind of woke sort of way with her in like forty years time. I don't know, or whenever Joan wants to do it. Way too young. But yeah, yeah, I'd watch her in anything. And to be honest, after this, I will be so excited when I see her name linked. To things because that's surely going to happen more and more yeah and look maybe i mean like she said she wanted to she pivoted towards movies so that she'd have just a bit more of a child-friendly you know hours so mm. maybe she'll like her child must be raised by now so like maybe you know she wants to go back to the theater if she came to london i would be first in line to try and see oh, her in sure. but yeah hopefully we see more and more of her um, yeah. where, wherever, on stage, on the small yeah. screen or big screen, whatever she wants or, to do. Or like a, something really meta where we have a lots of um, people who've played first ladies on screen. So her and Sally Field. <laughs> Stocker Channing. Natalie oh Portman. God, yeah. Just any, it could be real first ladies, non-real first ladies doing, just sitting down, just chatting about being first ladies just together out of yeah. time. Just a wonderful time. I thought you were going to say an ABBA-esque virtual <laughs> tour. Yeah, like when exactly you like that. So they've got a purpose-built arena and you go in and they are there in virtual form as the first ladies. Yeah, I'll, have, I'll, buy, I'll buy my ticket right now. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. The gays will just keep this, this show in business for forever. So. Yeah, goldmine. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Declan, for joining oh, us. Oh, thanks so this much. This was so much fun. I feel like I probably tipped you over into a record running time uh, with my ongoing love for Joan, but uh, it was so much fun to talk about And her. she deserves it. And it's, just, it's been so lovely to revisit because I hadn't watched a lot of these movies in a long time. And honestly, they're so good. It's 
Uh, and I'm now on a mission to find those kind of last things that she did in the noughties. Amazing. Yeah. But yeah, you'll you'll have to come back for that um, Christina Ricci episode. Or, oh. and I, I clocked you saying at the start, someone else who's on the list is Kathleen Turner. <gasps> yeah, yeah. I love Kathleen Turner, so I would be more than happy to come back. More than happy. And we definitely need to talk. I, we didn't get to talk about it, but Peggy Sue get, getting married or got married is such a great movie. And even if yeah. I watched it for Joan Allen, it like that didn't matter. I just absolutely loved it. And whatever Nick Cage is doing, I yeah. just loved it all. Choices. <laughs> yeah. Choices. Um, well, guys, thanks for having me. Happy to come back whenever. Woohoo! Um, is there anything you want to shout out or anything? Do you want people to find you online? Yeah, where can people find you? I'm uh, on Twitter all the time uh, <laughs> for work and pleasure. Uh, so my Twitter handle is at TweetDeck. That's Tweet underscore Deck DC. And yeah, you'll find me just talking shite over there all the time. <laughs> well, that's what we like. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And uh, for everyone for listening once again, if you've got any opinions on Joan Allen or you know what we've missed are you angry we haven't spoken about the notebook let us know you can get us on email at don'tknowherpod at gmail.com or on twitter and instagram at don'tknowher underscore pod and please do leave us a rating and review um wherever you're listening that's really helpful for other people to find us and please share on with at least one other person that you think would love to hear our love for these actors yes Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again. And we look forward to all joining us next time. Have a wonderful day, evening, morning, whatever it might be. See you later. Bye. Bye.